Welcome to the Behind the Goals podcast, the podcast about fans, for fans and by fans. Please welcome your hosts, Andrew Jenkin and Alan Russell. Hello and welcome to episode 33, Behind the Goals. Today, Andrew and I are going to be talking to Phil Differ. We're in Edinburgh. Uh, we're watching his uh, one-man show that he's putting on at the Fringe this, this year um, called Billy Bremer and Me, really his life in football. But we're going to talk to him about his background in comedy. Um, he's obviously well known as a writer and a performer in comedy. He's been involved in pretty much every Scottish comedy show that's been in TV over the last 30 years or so. Um, so we'll cover that, but also talk about uh, you know, why he's done a show about football. Yeah. We apologise for the sound quality because we interviewed it um, after the show in a hallway somewhere. As you said, <laughs> so it's, um, it's a on, on a back stairway with some with somebody warming up on the guitar. You can hear about guitar at some point, I'm sure, and pe- various people climbing over us as we were sitting on the stairs chatting to Phil. But that's that show business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I no, I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to Phil. Um, her, of you know, just one of these characters that you hear a lot on various programs and you know i've seen a couple of he's done some stuff as support director in the past as well mm-hmm. so he did a he did a show with bob Dulali interviewing bob Dulali a couple of years <laughs> ago for some supporters direct fundraisers so um a great character and um good to chat to him especially about this this show and, and billy bremner and, and he's still playing as well as a, a you know Phil yeah. still playing so um he just loves football doesn't he and yeah that really that really comes across in the yeah yeah so enjoy the chat. Um, we'll talk again at the after after the after the interview with Phil, uh, and we'll share a little bit about what's coming up for Supporters Direct Scotland. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah. Um, we just sat through the, the Billy Brenner and me. Mm-hmm. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for for letting us come along. Um, I thought it'd be worthwhile just touching upon your career today and some of the things you've done before, perhaps talking about Billy mm-hmm. Brenner and me. You've obviously got a love for football that stretches a long way back, as you can tell from the show. Um, but I wondered if you could perhaps talk about some of the things that you've done um, in the past, which involve football, some of your writing career today, that involve football, particularly when you Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I like every other writer. started just sending material away to every uh, programme that would accept freelance contributions. Um, there wasn't very much happening in Scotland until uh, there was a programme, a, a radio programme called Naked Radio, which encouraged all the, the, the new um, writers that were there in Scotland to write what they thought was funny. So I was writing a lot of football stuff and none of it was getting on um, because the producer was convinced that there was no market for it. But I always felt that football's the showbiz of Scotland, you know, that's, if it, that, that's we don't have a Hollywood, we've got football basically. So we tried a couple of football guys and they got good laughs and built up, built up. Um, and then about 1986, well it was 1986, uh, I did a parody of the, the documentary Only a Game called Only an Excuse. Um, and it really took off. I mean, literally Johnny Watson, Tony Roper and I in a studio, uh, I didn't know what I was doing basically. We had a, a good script, the writers were very good. It was myself, Bob Black who wrote City Lights. Uh, Ian Patterson, who wrote Rabsy Nesbitt, and Neil Clark, who's one of the best script editors uh, in the country now. So um, we were all young at that stage and quite inexperienced, but we managed to get the script together. And the show was half hour and we recorded three hours worth of material and we had to edit it down. We did, we put it out on the radio, uh, it was repeated ad nauseum. Everybody, what was that show? Played it, played it. Then they made it into a tape. 
and uh, it was in the shops back in the days of cassettes and because it was only an excuse, oh, it was right next to Ozzy Osbourne, was like, <laughs> that was really, really chuffed at that. So that was, the, that was the kind of football thing and all of the excuses have been gone for a long, long time and I know everybody says, oh, it's not as good as it used to be. And, you know, maybe, that, maybe that's true. It's very difficult when you've been doing a show for a long time to keep it fresh and things change and Johnny gets older. It's very difficult for me to play young guys when you go old and things. But, you know, like this year, like Stephen Gerrard comes into Rangers and it just stirs the pot again and it gives us something to, to uh, latch on to. So maybe, I'm not making any promises, maybe this year we may get back to a wee bit more football. I think I think that essence of it that you talked about there, you know, this is this is Scotland's showbiz. Mm-hmm. You've got these instantly recognisable characters. Uh, Even people that don't watch football or really follow are. all that closely uh, recognise no, them. No, Everybody, everybody still thinks of Frank McAvenny. But probably when you say the name Frank McAvenny to people, uh, they think of John, Jonathan Watson uh, rather right. than Frank McAvenny. Well, that, that character so ingrained in the public. I think that's what happens. I think I think Frank. I think people <laughs> speak to Frank as if he's Johnny. <laughs> um, and and one time we were filming. Um, up at uh, Newton Merns, uh, and there was a sex shop. Is, is it La Senza or something? A sex shop, an underwear shop. Thing. Sorry, Newton Merns. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, La Senza. Uh, no. And uh, Johnny, Johnny was done as Frank McAvenny. And the way people behaved towards him, they, were, you know, they were call him Frank and things like that, and Mr. McAvenny. And Johnny's going, No, I'm Johnny Watson. They're going, Okay, Frank. You know, they didn't forget it. There was another time we were filming um, in Glasgow City Centre and there was about six buses <laughs> in Glassford Street and Johnny was walking up the road with filming as Frank McAvenny and there was about six buses all sort and the drivers and they're tooting around, everybody was waving, oh Frankie boy, you know that. <laughs> Johnny's good. He, he's just got to play along with it because I can't explain to everybody, actually no, I'm, I'm Johnny Watson basically, you know. But no, that, that's, that, the, the characters, the football characters, the big ones, they're our stars, definitely, you know, and I think you hit the nail on the head, even if you don't know about football, we've always tailored it so that you'll still get something out of, of what the show's about, you know. What, what do you think it is about Scottish football that seems to lend itself particularly well to <sighs> the kind of idea of a excuse? Because, as you say, Stephen Gerrard's joined the league, so you have, the, again, you've got these big characters, you've got Brendan Rodgers, you've got Stephen Gerrard, etc. Um, it seems like Scottish football went for a little bit of a period there where perhaps there weren't as many mm-hmm. interesting characters to, to look at. But what is it that you think brings people back to that? I think, I think the Scottish football thing is that it, it's not very good, but it takes itself incredibly seriously. <laughs> and everybody's paranoid. Everybody thinks that the other guy, they always get the decisions. And they're oh, no chance, no with that jersey, and all that sort of thing. And I think that's... It's the thing that, it's the way, it's, people talk about football the way they talk about the weather here, you know, it's like you just, you meet somebody and within a couple of nights you're trying to figure out what team they support, and what can I say here, and then you're blaring away, and if it turns out, oh, he's one of us, or what about them, and if he's, oh, you're guarding, oh, I hope he does well, and all that, you know, like the rubbish, um, and I think that, that's what it is, and I think on a slightly serious note, I think that Scottish football could be a whole lot better, I, th- I think the SFA really need to have a look at themselves, I mean, it used to be, you know, with pictures in the show of World Cup, you know, like we used to qualify for World Cup, we used to laugh at everybody else, you know, England haven't made it again, look at us. There's something far wrong, you know, that we, we can't get that get that right and we appoint people and we have czars and we have think tanks and nothing happens. So I remember at one point did somebody know say the SFA were not fit for purpose and that's about five or six years ago mm-hmm. and we're still dealing with the same thing. We need we, we really need to, you know, rip it apart and start again because 
you know, look at the players that we used to produce. Why are we not producing guys like that? You know, the people that are good are still playing. So where are they? Get them, get them there and get them uh, back into the Scotland team and start thinking positively again. Getting a bit serious there, sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 quite right. I mean, it's just, I mean often the topic of the podcast is around kind of the governance of the game and we talk mm. a lot about fan ownership, as you know, you've done shows uh, with supporters direct in the past. But um, on a kind of a personal level, is there something that you enjoy? Obviously, you've had an incredibly successful career writing about other things outside of football, mm-hmm. but your shows about football and you still do a lot of stuff in football. Is there something that... Um, do you enjoy doing that more than some type of stuff? Or no, do you just I, know it better? I, I think it's just because I know it so well mm-hmm. that I gravitate towards it all the time. You know what I mean? When I... When I, I, I still... Because my, my training as a writer was for topical shows. So what you did was you got the papers and you took from the headlines and you wrote jokes based on the headlines. So you do it on the internet. But my, my leaning... I'm always looking for a football story. I always know where the joke lies and that because if they, the fan, they, those fans think that, so if I say that, they'll get annoyed, but the other fans will laugh. And you, you, you do get a formula um, that you can uh, adhere to. But I still, um, I go through phases and I just say to myself, I'm going to write uh, three topical gags every day based on what's in the news, whether it be Boris Johnson or Brexit or whatever. And I just try and write news lines because that's what I started doing, you know, spoof news lines. Just about everybody started doing that. So that's that's that, I do that as a, a, a wee hobby. Uh, if I'm bored, you know, instead of a crossword puzzle, I try and write gags. Some of them I'll, I'll use events. There's a lot of them I forget about them the next day. But uh, that's 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 what I do anyway. But football, I just keep gravitating to. I kid on, I'm no bothering. I'm no caring. I'm away checking see what the score is. And all that <laughs> sort of thing, you know? Talking about your, your show, Billy Bremner and me, what is it about Billy Bremner particularly that inspired you to, to write a, a, a kind of a French show? I think it, it was genuinely, there's a bit at the start of the, the, the show where I met a guy and I said to him about Billy, I, you know, he was an ex St Morden's guy and I said to him when I went to St Morden's, oh I really wanted to do it. And he said, well you've done all this right and I said, I know that. But when I went to secondary, all I wanted to do was be like Billy Bremner. And he genuinely said to me, didn't we all for didn't we all? And that was a kind of trigger because I thought, God, I thought I was all the guys that were there were thinking the same thing, and a few guys some ones did do quite well, uh, and went on to play football. Um, but that was the that was the trigger for me, and the fact that he had been at some ones, and the fact that he came to the school, and um, I didn't meet him, I saw him. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the idea of him being my nemesis, I'm going to take it. that. That I've, I've embellished that, but I was. I was genuinely in awe of the guy, and the fact this was the first real footballer I'd ever seen, kind of up close. Mm. Um, so that was that was kind of at the heart of it, basically. Didn't we all fail? Didn't we all? And that started the whole thing, uh, roller coaster. You, you mentioned in the show of him being, he wasn't he wasn't a big guy. No, but he, he felt he, he seemed like a oh, big guy. God, I, I was looking at I don't know if it's I don't know if it's accurate on Wikipedia, but I was looking at he's five foot five. Hi. Uh, and but he's got that. I never saw him play live, um, but seeing him on TV, he looks like that larger-than-life presence. Absolutely, his presence was... It's one of these guys that... It's when you get older you realise how good certain players were, like Bobby Murdoch. You know, I I saw the Lisbon Lions, I I watched the Lisbon Lions. Bobby Murdoch was was unbelievable. 16 caps for Scotland. You know, it was absolutely ridiculous. Midfield, general, right foot, left foot, anything could do it. And Brenda was, was in that category. Brenda, I remember Celtic Leeds, 1970, European Cup semi-final. He hit a ball, he scored a goal, 
uh, against Celtic, and it must have been about 30 40. And it, it, you know that way where you hit a cross mm. and the ball, yeah. and it seems to hit the bar, uh, the post, the bar, the post, the yeah. bar, and then go in, you know, it goes like that and then goes in. And I remember I was at the game, and it's a bit like Arthur Montford, oh Billy, how could you? Because I felt, as a Simone's guy, they're going to know that he's an ex-Simone's guy, I'm in trouble here. It was about 150,000, it's one of these attendances, it goes up and up, mm. up every time. It was, I've never been handed so busy. And that was the goal that levelled the tie, and then Celtic won 2-1 uh, on, on the night. Uh, but Brenner was incredible, and it's just why these guys, the energy of them, and the red hair, it's, you know, you just knew where he was all the time. But it wasn't until later, um, you know, I just liked him because he seemed to be in the thicket, you know, and I, 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 you know, I thought I was a hard man central midfielder, and I was not, but he seemed to always be there. And that occasional losing the temper and punching guys and all that, yeah. uh, I think that, that kind of adds to it, really. Yeah. It's, it's that, you know, the kind of ordinariness of him, you know, yeah. it's, it's just what he is. Yeah, you, you, you almost put these guys up on a plinth there and being they're superhuman aye. and then you see this very human thing where they Absolutely. just lose it. Uh, and I, I, I love the footage of the, of the scrap we had with Kevin Keegan at the, the charity shield. Aye. And you can just, you can <laughs> see him, he's going through these emotions almost, I mean, it's, it's, it's not the greatest footage and there's, there's only a couple of cameras there, but you can see him angry and then aye. regretful about what aye. he's done and then frustrated with himself and then he almost looks like he wants to go back and have another go <laughs> and you just see the, these, these real human emotions in this, in this superstar. I did a lot of research on him and I mean you don't want the play just to be and then and then and then and then you know it's, it's more about the, 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 the human attributes that he, that he brings to it but uh, I mean he, he very much just an ordinary guy and apparently uh, he would go his way to apologise to people afterwards and just say, look, that was, that was just the game, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a great story I found that he wrote to Rivellino, the Brazilian guy, because Rivellino had been running away from him in that game that features in the show, and Bremner punched him <laughs> in the back of the head. And, uh, uh, and then Rivellino got a letter from Bremner saying, listen, I really like you as a player, but no offence, but I just I had to try and slow you down. And Rivellino was like, no problem, and you know it's a really good story, it's, 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 and I can imagine that you know that that I love that mutual respect thing when they get to that level, you know they'll kick lumps at each other, but at the end it's like boxers, batter lumps, then hug, mm. and then they shake hands that's and go well done. That's it. In the ninety minutes, as Dennis Law used to say, uh, no friends on the pitch. Yeah. You know I think well you know no friends on the pitch. You know <laughs> he used to say like that, but he did say that, and, and I've spoke to Dennis about that. No, no, he says it was absolutely professional. You're your best pal, you would bury him, you know, um, but no. What is it, I mean, what, as you were talking about the show, I mean, there was something particular that stood out to me, because you were talking about why Billy Brown was such a kind of role model or inspiration to you. Central midfielders seem to, because my favourite players have always been central midfielders mm -hmm. as well. I don't know about you, Alan, but, you know, I don't know exactly quite what it is. Is it because they're, they're the kind of the leaders, they've got they're the driving force of the team? What is it particularly for you that kind of stood out? They always seemed to be the guys that had the time on the ball. Yeah. You know, they carried, they carried 20 yards of space yeah. around with them. You know, they're really good. I mean, I remember, like, uh, you'll not remember these guys, uh, Gunter Metzer, the German guy yeah. in the 70s. Big blonde haired German guy, fabulous. Wolfgang Overath, all left foot. Every time they got the ball, there was space. Tell you another story, I've named it on here. Uh, Soonest I've met a couple of times. And once you get past the kind of, all right, can I just say something here? You get past that arrogant sort of thing. <laughs> it's actually really interesting. 
And he'd played in Italy uh, for Sampdoria against Udinese, and Zico was playing for Udinese. And uh, I said to him, you know, why can I hold Mr. Pellet? I said, yeah, yeah, play against Zico, because I love Zico. You know, I thought he was fabulous. I said, do you ever play against Zico? And he went, yeah. And I was waiting for him, and he told me that he said, Zico was the danger man. And soon as he said, well, uh, I'll, mark, I'll mark Zico. He said, just leave him with me. He says, now we're out. He says, now, you know, I was going to rough him up. But he says, I never got near him the entire match. He says, Zico just knew. He says, and I'm chasing him. He says, and and I, you know, as soon as told of himself, he said, just never got near the guy, you know. But I think that what we think of football, uh, get out there and kicking a ball and running about, these guys, it's, there's, a, there's a level of cleverness and cynicism and call it and tactics and all that. And I love hearing their stories. I love it when they tell you. You know, who was the hardest guy, who was this, who was that. And that, that whole midfield thing, as soon as we got a bad midfielder himself, um, but he says, I, said, I never get near him. He says, he just knew that he was away all the time, you know. Gordon Smith tells a funny story. Do you know Gordon? Yes, I do, yeah. Gordon, he tells a funny story. He says if he's playing, uh, when Rangers played Juventus, mm. and uh, I think Rangers beat them over the two legs, and Jock Wallace did, and he was up against Benetti, Romeo Benetti. And uh, he said, Benetti was Smith, I kill you, you know that? And God's going, aye, aye, aye. He says, in the second game, he said, they brought Benetti on as substitute. The game was lost, so basically, God knew Benetti was coming on to kick him, basically. And Gordon says, I'm watching him. And he says, he's like, the other side, I'm looking at him like that. And then I just keep looking, keep looking. Look, where is he? And he's right there, he says he's, he's there, he says, and he's dragging the studs through the back. He says, he's just absolutely brilliant. He says, again, the end of the game, they shake hands at the end of yeah, the game, yeah. and that's it. You know, Smith, I kill you, you know. There seems to be something about that period of football, um, which you wouldn't be able, I mean, you wouldn't oh. be able to get away with that now. There's so many cameras. Well, like, here's an interesting thing. I, I did an, uh, an interview, I, I hate that she name drop, right? Yeah. I know it sounds like that, oh, but it was, it was, it was, it was the same shit as Kevin Keegan. And he was, he was promoting his soccer circus at uh, Brayhead. And I said to him, I said, you know, the guys today, the guys from that era, they just wouldn't be able to play today. And Kevin says, Kevin, he says to me, he says, he says the thing you remember, he says, you've got to remember is they were all great players. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they just took it yeah. as far as they could. Yeah. He says, and if they'd come back, he says, they would still have been there, you uh-huh. know, like Gentile and Benetti and all these guys. He says they would still have been there. Yeah. He says because they were great players. He says they only just that was the hatchet man or you know, the assassin. I always loved Kevin, Kevin Keane told me that uh, Gentile was called the assassin, right? He says but Sharia was called the Undertaker. He says because if the assassin was to the Undertaker, he says Sharia was actually worse than Gentile. He says but he says a fabulous, fabulous player. Yeah. As well as that, they had that steel thing. You know, that I didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the way I think of, um, of, the, of the central midfielders. They're able to do that, and they're also great players. And uh-huh. I, I always think, and I, I always think that central midfield is a position that anybody would want to play if they're good enough. Mm-hmm. And the guys that aren't good enough go up front, or mm-hmm. go into defence, or go into the wing, and use all those those skills. But, but in central midfield, you've got to have it all. Oh, you've no. got to have the full package. And then back then, you had to have all, that wee bit more, that that that, be, that, that ability to do the nasty stuff as well. You know, to, to be confident enough to be that person to go through you. Yeah. I take that and, and arrogance. You know, I mean, it does. I mean, it's not just anybody. Uh, oh, I can't complain. I love that photo you, you, you used in the show of, of Billy Bremner as, as a teenager with that You do the same thing, kind of presenting, presenting that kind of, you know, that control, that 
that uh, that knowingness about about, about your own and that confidence no, in your own ability. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a guy when we did this show in Stirling, there was a guy who gave me a, a print of a photo of the school team and he was in it and Brenner's in it and your eyes just go to this guy. And you, go, you go Billy Brenner's and there he's there because everybody's like. And this guy is just like, this means everything. Yeah, yeah. And Alex Smith, the... the who, who, Falkirk. Falkirk, yeah. Yeah. Alec was very useful to me. Uh, Alec gave us a lot of stuff as well when I was doing this this play. Uh, and he said, he says, he just played all the time. And he says, he was just incredibly competitive. You know, he said, your, your DNA is, I play football and I've got to win, I must win. And he was playing with the under-15s when he was 12 and 13. You know, every game, give me a game, give me a game. I promise I'll be the best player on the pitch. Yeah. So, I mean, that takes something. You know? Yeah. You've got, yeah. you've got to back that up. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And just finally, you mentioned you still you still play football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How regularly do you play? Uh, every Sunday. I've, I can't, I've not played for the last two weeks and I'll miss two weeks of going on holiday, but we play right through. Um, we used to have a wee league and it kind of fell apart. I'm the oldest. Uh, but they're all, it's all guys in their 40s and 50s and they occasionally bring in a couple of young guys just to kind of fess them up. But I absolutely love it. I mean, I really do. I mean, I, that, genuinely, that was my, my uh, dislocated finger. Yeah. Uh, and I, I staved that one the other day as well. And I broke that one as well. But it was, that was goalkeeping, was the, that was the thing that I never realised. Yeah. That was the proper, that was my position. And every time I meet goalkeepers, I'm always, you know, would you do this and why would you do this? And why would, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's my um, big take from the from the show there, because although Billy Bremner's in the title, and you talk about him a lot in the show, it's really about your life in football. Is, and I, I don't, I don't know, four, five decades of playing I, football. I, and, um, and so, do you? Do, does it feel still feel the same when you when you play a game of football I, now as it did when you were? If, if we lose, uh, I get really. It's usually Wednesday <laughs> before I can actually. Um, get over it and just say right well, we move on and then the next game they just kick about games now but because you're you sort of that team thing you're relying on your pals you just don't want to let your pals do that, yeah. that sort of thing um, but no I still I still feel exactly the same about it and if I don't Lev Yashin said the Russian goalkeeper says that the minute you lose a goal you don't care just finish go away because you're, you're not you're finished you're never going to come back after that. so that's my gauge if somebody scores, I have never once went, oh well, it doesn't matter, we're eating nothing up. I hate, absolutely hate it. I get crab at boots and all that kind of thing. But that's, that's, and that, that's true. Completely missing out on the pitch. Hope, no, no, I never had that aggression on the pitch, but in goal, it's completely different. That, that was it. Fantastic. If Billy Bender had been a goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a goalkeeper, who, who are your idols? Uh, Yashin, I like, you know, he, he was quite coming to the end of his career when I watched him. Uh, but he was, a, he was a keeper, that he was a first sweeper keeper, basically. Uh, I like Meyer, I always liked Meyer in general, that, well, that point, you know, you know the, the big, he was the first guy with the big gloves. My hero was Ronnie Simpson, you know, the, the Celtic guy. Yeah, he, was, he was about 5'9", Ronnie, and I met him a few times, and a really, really nice guy, very, very clever guy, as a coach. I thought he was a cracking goalkeeper. This this idea that keepers need to be six four and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember Stephen Cross said that to me. He said that was. He says after Schmeichel, everybody felt that goalkeepers had to be, yeah, you know, big by this. Yeah. Well, I, I give you Rob Douglas. You know, uh, you know, you don't big. It doesn't really matter. Cross was about five ten. I was a cracking goalkeeper, yeah. and Gorham was a good goalkeeper as well. You know, and, and, and as a shot stopper, um, and Gorham was one of the guys that. 
broke the striker's heart. See, you could see the heads going down and all that. <laughs> when, when, honestly, when you're on goal, see, once you see the guys all going like that, and you know you're getting to them, yeah. they're starting to believe that fate has dictated that they can't score. Rubbish. Just keep the head and you'll score. And once they start thinking, that, you know, they think, I've psyched them out. <laughs> <laughs> I still try and you know, get back the board, leaving the elbow in and things like that. You know. There's that bit of you that was, I remember when a young guy kept coming through, and he was fast, and he was all that those step overs and all that. And every time I went, I was just I was hitting him, catching him here, and, you know, just to try and hit him, hit him. And then about two years later, we were playing another game, and he was there. He was a nice guy. And he was going, "Oh, him." He goes, watch him, he says, he, he puts the elbow to your throat. So I so got this <laughs> reputation, specialist move, elbow to the throat. I, I, I actually meant to hit him there. He ducked and he caught him. And, you're like, oh. and the minute you do it, you think, God, that guy's going to go to his work tomorrow. Yeah. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, thank you. This is a great Thank you very much. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. So what a great chat there. Um, Lovely man is Phil. Um, could have just sat on that stairway chatting all afternoon, I think, but he probably had places to go to and we had a pub to go to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, in advance of that show, I'd done a little bit of research on um, Billy Bremner just because he was a bit before my time. And um, there was a YouTube video of him in the 70s, mostly mostly the clips are for Leeds, but he did not score bad goals. Yeah. <laughs> Every single one was absolute postage stamp. Yeah. Uh, incredible record um, for a, a, a Scottish legend who never actually played in Scotland other than when he was playing for the national yeah, team. Yeah, uh, start, Starting and then finishing his career uh, south of the border, um, you know, only playing for two clubs, mm. um, managing two clubs. Um, uh, and uh, and that and that's, uh, that Scotland career that was cut short uh, when he was at, almost at his peak, or maybe, maybe just beyond his peak, but still had a few good years left in him. But uh, he's in the Scotland Hall of Fame, um, having 54 caps, I think, uh, yeah, we, we, we talked about. So he's, he's in the Hall of Fame uh, with, a, with a career that really ended when he was about, I think, 32, 33 years old uh, and still had a few years left to, left to go there. Uh, so fascinating story um, about Billy Bremner, but it's it's really Phil's story that yeah. that comes through in it, in his show. Um, the run at the fringe is now is now finished. He was only on for the first week or so, um, but as he said in the interview, he is hoping to tour the show um, and uh, hoping to take that out in the road. Uh, it's fantastic. It's a great story. Uh, it's not one of these comedy one man shows that's just a laugh a minute. Um, it's a really sort of poignant, uh, lovely story with quite a few laughs in it, um, and really just a, a touching story about. You know, Phil's love of football. Yeah, it's a sort of a trip down memory lane as well. I imagine. Yeah. He talks a lot about things like blow football and UTO <laughs> and, um, you know, the types of football boots you used to get and, you know, going through different Adidas boots and the, the noise they would make. Just little lovely things like that that yeah. will, you know, bring memories flooding back, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, no, we thoroughly enjoyed that. And if you do get a chance to see the show when he, when he tours it, then we'll, we'll make sure we promote it as well. So you, you'll get another chance to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what have we got coming up? Alan? Yeah, so the big big one that's on the horizon for us is the um, is the National Fans Summit. Um, so every year, Supporters Direct Scotland put on a, a national summit. This year, we're taking it uh, to um, Fir Park in Motherwell. The theme of the event is going to be supports our ownership, um, which is why we're taking it to to, to Motherwell uh, and really celebrating the fact that there's three teams in the SPL um, who are. Yeah. 
Premiership. SPFL Premiership, yeah, sorry. We're not allowed to call it SPL anymore. No, no, no God. <laughs> I can never keep up with this. Uh, so, yes, the SPFL Premiership. 25% of those teams are either supporter-owned or, or well on their way to becoming supporter-owned. So um, we're going to have... Which is phenomenal, really. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's a, a real watershed for, for Scottish football. Mm. A long time. So critics of the supporter ownership idea have said, well, that's that'll work at little clubs, but not at our top clubs. Mm. Um, and there we've got three clubs proving proving those people wrong. Yeah. Um, so it's a celebration of that. Um, we're obviously going to have the Well Society there um, as, as we're... Uh, as we're having the, the summit in their stadium. Um, we're going to have people from SMISA, uh, St Mirren Independent Supporters Association, along there. Um, and we're, we're going to run a session that, that has you know those clubs talking to each other. Um, Foundation of Hearts, we're hoping to get along as well. Um, so we should have representation for from all three of those clubs and also from, from clubs elsewhere down the Scottish Football Pyramid that are under supporter ownership and maybe a few friends from outside of Scotland as well to join us. So the summit's on the 8th of September. It's a Saturday. We don't normally have these things on a Saturday, but the international fixture calendar's worked out in our favour. So there's two home games. Uh, Scotland are playing Glasgow on the Friday night and yep. the Monday night. Yep. So if you're coming down for those games, going to be in Glasgow, staying for the weekend, come along the road to, to, to Lanarkshire um, and, uh, and come and join us for the summit on the Saturday, yep. 10 o'clock till 4pm. Uh, and if you're a, a member, an individual member of Supporters Direct Scotland, then you get free access to the event. Otherwise, tickets are available via our website. So if you just go to scottishsupporters.net, you'll see details there of, of the summit coming up. Yeah. Um, so we're looking forward to it. it. Should be, And we've got some workshops in the afternoon as well. So a lot of chat and, and we'll hear some um, people leading the field in, in Scotland in terms of fan involvement. And then in the afternoon, a bit more kind of hands-on, a bit more practical stuff. So um, hopefully something for everyone. Yeah. So join us on that uh, on that Saturday afternoon in a few weeks' time, September the 8th. Uh, love to see you there, but keep on listening to the show in the meantime. We've got a few other uh, nice little treats lined up on the podcast uh, to, to bring you over the next few weeks, and we'll speak to you next week. Behind the Goals is a Supporters Direct Scotland podcast. You can get in touch with the show by emailing behindthegoals at hotmail.com, or you can also tweet the show at SupDirectScott. That's S-U-P-P. Direct Scott.